HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Oh, yes. It is Monday. It is time for What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and this is the Heritage Radio Network. And today we have a really super fun and very timely show for you. Um, My guest is the wonderful Liz Crampton, who is an agriculture and food policy reporter for Politico Pro. Her coverage focuses on conservatism, pesticides, and agribusiness. Um, I read her daily on the Morning Ag, which is part of the Politico, you know, daily thing. Um, And before joining Politico, Liz covered antitrust enforcement for Bloomberg BNA, reporting on mergers and investigations by the Justice Department and the Federal Trade Commission. So we can have a little chit chat about that if we run out of things to say, um, which is highly unlikely. And she launched a weekly blog called Fair Play that explored hot topics on the beat. Is that still going, Liz? Fair Play? It is. All right. I got to sign up for that. It's still written. Good for you. Um, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your actual work day to do this. Um, and probably you would be going out to a fancy, expensive lunch down in Washington, D.C., right? And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you'd be visiting that big food truck convention place, wherever that is. I don't know. Anyway, where are your offices at Politico, by the way? Are they in Arlington? Um, yeah, so we're out in Roslyn, in Arlington. Oh, yeah. Um, but we're roving reporters so we spend all over dc and um spending a lot of time on the hill lately reporting on the farm bill oh yeah i bet you have um and one of the places that you were reporting from was north carolina because you sat in on the trial that pitted a local community against murphy brown a subsidiary of smithfield pork um so describe what is the suit about tell us about that suit because this is yeah, big so, this is um, very big i spent the last month um following this federal trial involving a lawsuit that was brought by 10 residents living in Bladen County, North Carolina, against Murphy Brown, or essentially Smithfield, Yeah, who said that a hog farm contracting with this company has ruined their quality of life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they said that the smell of 15,000 hogs at this industrial farm is unbearable at times. Yes. So in 2014, they brought what's called a, a nuisance lawsuit against the company. Right. And after a long three-week trial, a jury unanimously sided with the plaintiffs um, and handed them a 50 million verdict. Mm. And each person was given five million for indigenous. Unbelievable. Now they're not going to actually get that five million, so it's not as great we'll as see. it sounds. We'll see. Um, so the nuisance. Let's let's talk. Let's let's explain for a second to people just what that nuisance, quote unquote, is. What are they breathing when they breathe the air that uh, is blowing off of a of a big hog farm like that? Yeah, so it's you know, a mix of chemicals and compound that's found in animal waste, um, such as ammonia. And um, they say that the smell comes and goes with the wind, and you can't predict it. Right. Um, but when it's at its worst, um, they say the smell is penetrating. It gets into your clothes, your car, inside your home. Um, you know, they said they had to install glade plug-ins inside their homes to try to cover the smell. Yeah. Um, you know, if they were outside at a family barbecue and the smell came, it ruined the day. They had to go inside. Right. Um, and also, you know, it's not just smell. Like, the nuisance um, was more than just odor. For example, you know, dead hogs on the property that died, you know, from disease or any other cause, and they were kept in dumpsters that attract buzzards. Uh-huh. Um, and we were shown in court a photo of these dumpsters, you know, a dozen or so buzzards were circling the area. And the buzzards don't just stay on the farm property, you know. One woman testified that buzzards would climb up onto her home and on the roof, and she could see them stomping on her roof through the sunlight and was afraid that they would fall through into her living room. Oh. And you know, flies, all the things that animals attract. Right. Um, flies, yeah. Yeah, trucks um, involving production, you know, came rumbling by home at all hours. Mm-hmm. We were shown in court a time-lapse video of a camera that was installed outside the home and was filming trucks coming by all hours of the night, you know, 1, 2, 3 a.m., yeah, and that includes what they the residents say, which is the worst smell of all, which is a dead truck. Uh-huh. Um, that's what they call it, and it's transporting dead hogs from the farm. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Um, I should add. I don't know if you know this, but I wrote a book about um, industrial ag- animal agriculture, um, and so. Um, I- just to add to what you were saying about the ammonia, it's also methane and it is also mm-hmm. hydrogen sulfide. And it is also a known fact that if you spend more than, you know, 20 seconds breathing that in directly, you can and do die from it. And that is a frequent agricultural accident um, inside these CAFOs, whether they're poultry, uh, pork or beef. Um, and I should also add that these, um, that these odors, um, these chemical compounds cause uh, intense respiratory disease. It's it's a common factor of the people who work within the facility as well as those who li- inhabit the environs. Um, respiratory disease, depression, anxiety, um, you know, eye irritation, skin irritations, and then there's all of the um, antibiotic resistant bugs. Uh, that fly on the wind uh, from the big piles of waste and the, from the lagoons. So it's it's you know the idea of even calling this a nuisance I find just so, just so you know uh, oxymoronic. It's, you know it's it's comical if it weren't so horrible. So now tell tell us who the plaintiffs are. Yeah. So this case, um, there are ten residents, um, many of which lived in their homes for generations. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are family members a mother and her two teenage children, for example. 
Um, you know, they've lived on this land for a long time, you know, lived a country life, mm-hmm. fishing. Um, but when the hog farm moved in the neighborhood in 95, they say that their lives were never the same. Wow. And are these people primarily Caucasian or African-American? This is a leading question because I want to make a point about uh, this. Yes, they're all African-American. Okay. So that's the other thing about these um, these hog farms. There's no accident that they end up being situated in low-income communities um, throughout the American South and Midwest. Isn't that true, Liz? Yeah, they're primarily in rural areas, mm-hmm. um, which are lower-income um, and I, I don't, I don't believe all the plaintiffs in the case are African American, or at least the, the majority of them are. Mm-hmm. The demographics of the I area. Mean, ultimately, I think I read in your article that there are over ten. There are f- ultimately about five hundred plaintiffs, and this is being divided up into groups of suits. Is right, that right, right. That's right. So the original um, lawsuit involved about five hundred residents mm-hmm. all throughout the eastern area of the state where these hog farms thrive. Um, a judge that's overseeing it um, divided them up into groups, um, partly because um, for factors such as, you know, having a trial with 500 people is like a yeah. crazy amount of time and complicated. But also there's factors such as how far away from the, har- the farms that these people live. So they divided them up into 26 groups. Um, eight trials are scheduled to take place throughout the year. This, of course, um, was the first trial. So it was mm-hmm. considered the bellwether for the rest of them. And how this trial went um, is likely to, you know, um, determine the rest of them. Um, they won. Um, so that's a good sign for plaintiffs. The second trial is supposed to start really soon, um, I believe, at the end of this month, in 29. I might be right. Um, and meanwhile, Smithfield has indicated it's going to appeal the verdict. Right. Um, so we'll have an appeal running at the same time as these other trial groups are going to be in place. Now, um, at some point, uh, um, I mean, so let, let, let's let's set a little bit of a background stage here for this. So Murphy Brown, which is a, it's not Candace Bergen, it's not the TV show. Murphy Brown is a subsidiary of Smithfield, and um, they have been sued on numerous occasions um, for exactly these same problems. What what happened with those other suits? I mean, this was quite a groundbreaking event, this one. That, that's why I got right. so excited I mean, about it. Yeah, this is definitely, uh, at least in the first time in North Carolina, um, mm-hmm. where a verdict of this size and scope has been awarded. And that's why it's such a big deal, um, partly because hog production is a huge part of the economy. Yes. So it's a pretty striking verdict. Yes. And what will be, um, so so we're hoping that this will indicate that the other suits will also be decided in favor of the plaintiffs. But let's, let's, let's explain why, you know, why these people sue them. Isn't it, doesn't it have to do with the fact that they, the company itself, and here's a big hobby horse of mine, has failed to assist because it's not, they're not suing Kinlaw, the farmer, you know, the farmers or farmer who runs this hog operation. is it, It's called the Kinlaw right. Farm, right? They're not mm-hmm, suing Kinlaw. Right. They're suing Murphy Brown. Now, let's get into why they're suing Murphy Brown as opposed to Kinlaw. I mean, after all, Kinlaw is a contract farmer. You know, these are, I mean, they're not his hogs, but it's his facility. So why, why did they choose to sue the parent company rather than the individual? Right. So the reasoning behind that, and this was a big part of the case, was that the farmer 
has no choice. The farmer has to do what Smithfield tells it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Smithfield um, owns pretty much everything in the chain of production. Mm-hmm. The farmer owns the land and I think the machines, but the farmer doesn't even own the hogs. No, but um, he owns the houses. The yeah, right. So um, the plaintiff didn't name Kinlaw, uh, Mr. Kinlaw, um, the owner of the farm in their lawsuit, because they felt like the farmer wasn't at fault. Right. It was the company telling the farmer what to do not in court and that was a point that the defense tried to make is because Smithfield has contended that this is just a money grab that plaintiffs right. aren't asking for any change um but plaintiffs say we didn't request what's you know injunctive relief meaning that they didn't seek any specific steps the company should take to reduce the smell as it manages the waste of millions of pounds of manure um and the reason we did that is because they didn't want the farmer to be pulled in and punished. Uh-huh. Um, Smithfield would then argue, oh, well, you don't want us to change anything. You just want money. This is just a money grab. Oh, that is so so cynical and so revolting. So, but the reality is, is that um, they there is there are air scrubbing techniques. There are techniques available to companies like Smithfield to uh, mitigate some of the odor. Obviously, they can't get rid of it altogether, but there are ways of mitigating it. Um, are you familiar with some of those techniques? Is there is there a, a yeah? So yeah. Um, one of the things that plaintiffs said that Smithfield could do is um, install covers on lagoons, right, um, to reduce the smell. That's one, and that's been done in other states, such as Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, methods that can be um, that can dilute the amount of waste piled up. You know, simply spraying the pens where the pigs are living in more often. Uh-huh. Um, plaintiffs put a number on that. They said it would cost about 500 million for Smithfield to install covers on its some um, 2,500 lagoons it operates across the state. Uh-huh. Um, but then on the flip side, Smithfield says that these methods aren't that great and they're expensive. Right. Um, you know, from a financial standpoint, the company doesn't think it's worthwhile to spend money on covers um, when they say it's not that effective in reducing the smell. Mm-hmm. What do you th- what do you have any idea what the profit, uh, the gross profits, or no, the net profits of the Smithfield company are? Do we know Usually- that? Breaks in around fifty billion a year. Yeah, I think that usually is what it's ten k says. So, so a two hundred and fifty million dollar price tag is pretty much a drop in that bucket, isn't it? Right, but when you put it in, in context, that there's twenty five other lawsuits coming up the pipeline, that money can quickly add up. Well, yeah, of course, but I mean, in order to avoid those lawsuits, they could have just done the right thing. You know what I mean? Right, that's, they that's could have. The they could have been thinking good. Thinking is that this first verdict is going to compel Smithfield to make some changes. I think so. Yeah, and it's not just Smithfield. I mean, most of these companies operate in exactly the same way. I remember that there was a big t- uh, lawsuit against the Tyson Company in um, Maryland. Do you remember that, Liz? This was about um, four or five years come ago. To mind. You probably know it better than I do. Well, they. Um, it was a similar situation, although it involved chickens rather than um, than pigs. Uh, but it was it was the same kind of thing where the farmer had, you know, just he had like 25,000 chickens on his property and, you know, vast amounts of um, litter, which is what they call the, you know, the, the stuff that they use to bed down the chickens in those big chicken houses. And of course, that's really it's, it's either sand or it's wood shavings, a variety of different substrates. And then they, you know, they shovel it out in between each flock. Um, and they just, you know, it comes into mountains of mount, literally mountains of, you know, feather, uh, chicken shit, urine, and you know, just and food, you know, whatever, rotting, and it's like it's it's nasty. By the way, it gets recycled into cattle feed, just in case you didn't know that. Um, <laughs> some of it does, anyway. <laughs> 
Isn't that comforting? Um, but the but the local residents, I think, sued. They actually sued the farmer, if I'm not mistaken, rather than Tyson. And in the end, the farmer won the suit, um, and the plaintiffs were left, you know, having to pay court costs and expenses and so forth, and nothing changed, obviously. So that's one of the reasons why I was so excited about reading your story and why I really wanted you to come on and talk about what a groundbreaker this is. So to go back to the to the original um, story. So this particular award, um, so it goes to the various people and the, and the, um, yeah, we've talked about how much that was, how much the gross revenue is. Do they have, do companies like Smithfield, I'm just curious about this. I mean, maybe something has changed since I wrote my book a few years ago. Um, but do companies like Smithfield, as far as you know, have any legal obligations to assist contract farmers in managing or mitigating their uh, waste streams? Well, Smithfield would say that they do spend research and money devoted to that issue. I mean, they have a CEO of sustainability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, but what, what the tension here in this in this trial was that Smithfield and this farm have abided by all the rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Kinlaw Farm has never been written up for violating law. Oh. Um, and that's what Smithfield stood by, is we're good neighbors because we've never had any air quality violations. Um, obviously, it's against the law to you know, dump manure into the Cape Fear River right nearby. Right. Um, but that's where all of the tension came, is how do you balance the rights of a farm that does abide by the rules and regulations and the rights of the neighbors who want to be able to enjoy their property? Yeah. How do you balance that? It is a tough question. I mean, I get the I get the tension there. I understand what that is. I mean, Mr. Kinlaw is obviously just doing his job, and it's a mighty tough job. So I, I understand. But boy, if I lived near one of those things, in fact, I remember visiting friends in Massachusetts who lived right close to a hog farm. And this is back in the 60s. And believe me, there were no 15,000 hogs on that farm. And wow, we did it smell. Oh, my Lord. Mm-hmm. So um, are there any, you know, on the in the wake of this particular case, um, do you think the state of North Carolina is um, contemplating any change to legislative um, remedies? Are they thinking about passing any resolutions that would um, make those ev- environmental requirements a bit more stringent uh, after this, or is it just going to continue to be business Actually, as usual? Actually, the opposite has happened in legislation. So uh-huh. um, pork is such a big part of the economy and has a pretty powerful political presence in Raleigh. And when this lawsuit was filed, there was an effort in the legislature to negate it. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to pass a law um, capping damages um, mm-hmm. in these lawsuits filed against um, farmers at to the value of property, um, which for a lot of these residents isn't isn't that much money, yeah. um, and definitely wouldn't be you know fifty million. Um, <laughs> so the legislature has actually tried to protect the industry because they feel like these nuisance lawsuits are a threat to to jobs and to the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that sh- um, shook out is um, it ended up not being retroactive. So um, this lawsuit wasn't affected by the law, but future lawsuits are. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the oh, future, wow. if people want to file these nuisance lawsuits, their damages are, are capped at pretty low amount. Wow. Um, that's why these cases are so important, because it's really the only shot that these residents have. Right. Um, let's take a quick sponsor drop, actually, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the implications of this suit across the country, because it isn't just North Carolina that has uh, hog farms, right? So um, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Liz Crampton from Politico, and uh, we'll talk more about nuisance law- lawsuits and water quality issues in the Farm Belt. 
Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Searchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satari's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. We're talking about hog waste in North Carolina, where a groundbreaking uh, verdict uh, in which plaintiffs were awarded damages against Murphy Brown, a subsidiary of the Smithfield Pork Company, uh, for nuisance um, odors. I, I still can't get over the nuisance thing. I, I, I get that that's sort of the appropriate, but it's like, why, why isn't it called life-threatening? <laughs> It is an antiquated legal term. I mean, really, why isn't it like, you know, deadly, a deadly problem (laughs) existing in North Carolina and elsewhere? Um, I want to just go back for a second to um, to sort of the the, both the technology that we were talking about in terms of mitigating this stuff. um, Some of these issues that arise from the air quality and also the water pollution issues um, aren't. Don't they use some of the the manure from the lagoons? You know, some of the waste product in the lagoons. Don't aren't they spraying that on fields locally? Isn't That's that right? So it's it's called a lagoon and spray system, and it was actually developed by the original Murphy Brown mm. before the company was bought by Smithfield. Um, and so the way it works is that um, hogs are housed in these pens, um, thousands of them packed together, mm. and they push manure down these concrete slats at their feet yeah. and it gets um, you know, funneled into these um, open air lagoons, um, basically cesspools, yeah. um, where the waste sits um, and it gets treated and then it's periodically sprayed onto the field um, as fertilizer mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the things that residents complained about is that the newer particles would travel through the air from the farm and settle onto their homes. Um, and yeah. they actually hired a scientific expert to swab the outside of the homes um, to test for um, pig manure DNA. Mm-hmm. And that pig manure, um, you know, is loaded with uh, anti uh, uh, with uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria. That's been one of the things that they've discovered when they um, when they measure air you know, particulate matter, it's called particulate matter, um, when that is um, sprayed either through fans coming out of um, chicken houses, they have to keep the, the air quality, and even in hog houses, they have to constantly blow the air through. Otherwise, the animals would succumb to those gases that we were describing earlier in the program, the hydrogen sulfide, the ammonia, the methane, etc. Um, but that's all being blown out um, with particulate matter into, you know, the neighboring landscape. And um, 
it is loaded with these antibacteria, I mean, these antibiotic-resistant bacteria because of the widespread use of antibiotics in animal agriculture in this country. So it, it, it you know, the whole sort of um, loop of MRSA, I'm sure you've, you know, you've covered that because you're an agricultural reporter, but that's a big thing that's swine transmit MRSA to the, United, to the workers who work in those things and then they bring it home and that's become much more widespread, methicillin-resistant staph aureus, those infections, much more common. Anyway, I'm sorry to gas on and on about this stuff, but I mean, that was one, when I was doing the research for my book, that was something that just blew my mind, that they're just like, they're just blowing this stuff, this shit literally all over the country. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some of it travels literally thousands of miles too, which I thought was pretty interesting. So um, when we go, let's go back for a second to the, the sort of the, the technology. Um, you were talking about covering covering the lagoons is that kind of and and you just spoke about treating the waste in the lagoons i'm not aware of that what do they treat it with um i'm not sure but i know that it sits for a period of time out there um and decomposes to some degree um Mm-hmm. And then it's and then it's um, then spread out as fertilizer. Yeah, but they're not. I mean, they're not basically. They can't really get rid of all of the. Um, I don't know antibiotic resistant bacteria. In the <laughs> that's and going also, into I mean, the. We're talking about it's going you know, into the water. Pounds of waste per yeah. year too. Like, these aren't just small little puddles. They're giant lagoons. Yeah, and like, the farm involved in this case um, had three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, to store waste from its thousands of animals. Well, I think I think in your reporting you have some aerial photographs of it, right? Yeah, it we were shown a lot that? of photos of yeah. of the farm in court and um, how close the residents' homes are situated to the farm. I mean, the closest house um, is just a few hundred feet from the entrance. Wow! You can peer around the side and look, and you can see the farm, the, ah. the, the pig houses. And do they have ag gag laws there in North Carolina? Um, not familiar. Mm-hmm. And what did, um, when you were down there, what was the, like, who, who, who defended the plaintiffs? Who was the defense? And how did they pay so for a, this? Yeah, so it's a firm um, that's in Salisbury, Wallace Graham. Um, and they took on these plaintiffs a couple years ago. And it's been a pretty big gamble for them because these cases are expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, people to interview, a lot of plaintiffs to interview. Um, they hired scientific experts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they really put in a lot of resources resources into this into these trials. Yeah, and so and the and this was and so their their fee is predicated on the success of the lawsuit. So they'll get paid out right. of the judgment. Now, when Smithfield appeals the judgment, are this is this lawsuit is this law firm going to stay in place as the appellate um, as they go through the appellate process? Um, that's a question I'm not sure about. I don't know if they mm-hmm. have. Attorneys at the firm. I mean, obviously, their trial attorney is going to be occupied yeah. for the next couple months. <laughs> um, but important thing to think of damages, and this is something that the sides are sorting out right now. Is mm-hmm. There is um, a cap on damages per North Carolina state law that could significantly reduce the amount of money people walk away with, and in turn, that the firm would get um, for right. its effort. And um, that's something, an issue that the judge has not ruled on yet. We're waiting for a decision from him any day now on that. Uh-huh. Um, the sides um, filed their briefing documents last week. Um, so per per the law, damages could be reduced from um, $50 million to $5 million. Yeah. Um, plaintiffs, of course, believe that there should be an exemption 
um, exemption to that, um, and that's what they're arguing. Mm-hmm. And how the judge rules on that question is going to be extremely important because it really could determine whether or not these rest of the cases go forth. Um, like, as a firm, you know, they still got to pay their bills and keep their lights on and um, got to, you know, have some return. And if they're not getting that much money per per trial, like, you know, right. that, that's a, a tough question to to sort out. Absolutely. I mean, 50 million and 5 million is that's a pretty big drop. And as you yeah. pointed out, I mean, in the end, it could be as little as 225,000 per per plaintiff in this in this particular uh, award. So that doesn't even right. add that's up before you factor you know. in attorney's fees. Right, right. So that ain't that ain't you're not you're not buying a new house with that. Let's put it that way. You know, you're not moving even if you wanted to. No. And they don't want to move. That's, that's no, the thing. No, of course like, they don't. It's not it's not what they want to do. They've lived here for generations and yeah. it's where their home is and they shouldn't have to move. And what about the other um, the other, you know, 490 people? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else waiting in line. Yeah, right. Um, is it all are they all similar? So these are different um, facilities across the state that these mm-hmm, that are That's right. Mm-hmm. And so how many of them are there altogether actually? How many, how many not how many plaintiffs, but how many farms are being sued mm-hmm. in this I'm not sure if it's equal one farm per lawsuit. I think so. I think it's so. I think it could be about 26. Wow. Um, but the size of the plant, the groups of plaintiffs varies. So this next trial that's going to start at the end of the month is just one household um, as wow. opposed to 10. And it's a large household, um, but it's just it's just one group, smaller group of people. A large so household. That changes. I mean, what is it like? Ten people? A large is it, or is household? it a yeah, or is it like a facility, like a nursing home or a hospital? It's one resident, one resident. Wow. Now, what about, mm-hmm. that's another question I was wondering about. It's like, are any of the people involved in these suits, are they corporations whose uh, operations have been um, affected by the nuisance of these odors and chemicals, or is it all individual property owners? Well, like private. Yeah, private owners, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Because, huh. yeah. I mean, like, that would be an interesting thing, too. I recognize that normally these sites are, are, you know, very specifically chosen because they're out of the way, obviously. And But, you know, as as industrial sprawl sprawls, <laughs> you know, I think there's, you know, one sees more and more sort of office parks um, being developed outside of of population centers. I know that's happening in my own home state in Rhode Island. Um, we have like a whole bunch of new development happening up along the highway where there's really nothing else. There's no other, you know, there are no other businesses. It's not like you're in town. There aren't a lot of residential areas. Um, so it's kind of a weird, a weird new phenomenon that I'm observing. And I'm just wondering if there were any, any of those types of, um, you know, corporate identities that would be uh, equally affected, um, or perhaps mm-hmm. even more so. So it's interesting that nobody—it's all been private ownership and private individuals who are doing the who are doing. Yeah, the but what, what's been interesting is other people in the neighborhood have testified on behalf of um, the defense. So oh, really? Smithfield or Murphy Brown, you know, called up people who live in the area to testify and say that they didn't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But they, it didn't, it didn't bother them like it, it did for the residents. You know, and that was. Um, a trainer at this luxury horse farm um, who they raise Arabian horses that people from all over the world come and fly to, to see and pay millions of dollars for. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, it's not that bad. 
Um, same with the owner of a bed and breakfast across the Cape Fear River um, from the farm. They also said they hadn't had complaints. Um, so there was mixed testimony. Um, but, of course, you know, the, these people who testified for the defense don't live there. Um, right. You know, they, and that's the, the, what's so tough about these cases because the owner is subjective. Yeah. And also it's fleeting. Right. Um, and, you know, days will go by where it's fine for the residents. And then, you know, one day comes and it's terrible and, you know, it sticks to their clothes and they take it with them to work and to school. So right. Right. that's right. why this case is so difficult to litigate. Yes. Well, I think that is true. I mean, the air quality, that it is just almost impossible to legislate because I know that when I was doing my research, it's like they own the air directly over the operation, but they, you know, obviously can't control which direction the wind blows in. So they're, so, you know, somebody will lodge a complaint and then by the time, you know, the, the EPA or the equivalent of the, you know, the Department of Environmental Defense for that area or whatever it is, um, you know, by the time they get there to measure the odor, it's gone. It's, you know, mm-hmm. so there's no way of nailing these guys down, which is another reason I suppose it's so difficult to do this. And, and Smithfield wanted to take the jury out to the farm. Um, mm-hmm. They filed a motion for a site visit, and the judge denied it. Really? Um, partly for the or how long are they going to stand outside and wait for the snow to come? <laughs> and um, that could be one of the questions that the defense is going to appeal on. They've started to show their show their cards a bit um, uh-huh. and point out you know, things that they think went unfairly against them in the case. And one of them is the fact that they were denied a site. Huh. I think that's fascinating. I mean, I, as a jury member, what about you, Liz? Would you, what would you think if you went out to an operation like, like the Kinlaw farm? I mean, how do you avoid the smell when you get there? I don't know how you could say to somebody, oh, this isn't so bad when you're literally standing next to a lagoon. I mean, isn't the smell pretty bad there? Like... (laughs) You know what I mean? I just, I don't know how they can think that that's going to be the the magic bullet that convinces people that it's really great to live near a CAFO, you know. Yeah. I mean, oh and I don't God. even think plants would have even wanted that visit, though, because they say that, like, ever since the lawsuit has been filed, Kenlaw has cleaned up its act, literally, mm. um, you know, and been on its best behavior. Right. And that residents have noticed. Some, some change because of fear of, you know, damages and repercussions. Right. right. And I wonder if that will be true on the other farms. I'm sure it will be. You know, yeah, it's the same judge, so most likely. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I've always thought about these these problems with, with confined area, with contract farming and, and confined area feeding, concentrated area feeding operations, you know, I feel like the the companies should be the ones who are on the hook for mitigating these smells. Um, I think that should be part of the contract. I don't think a farmer should ever have to invest. I don't think they should have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into, um, you know, co- sophisticated and complex um, ventilation systems and so forth uh, in order to raise other people's hogs or chickens, which is how it works now. And certainly mitigating odors and, and cleaning up the pollution from these lagoons, you know, that's a big water quality issue as well. Is there, uh, we didn't talk about the water quality. Um, it's right near the Cape Fear River. And so are there also plaintiffs who are struggling with water quality issues as well as odor issues? That wasn't part of, of the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and, and health conditions and issues also weren't part of the case formally, right. but they came as close as they could to making that claim as, as possible. Why so, you know, they, they had experts testify about, like you, you know, said earlier, some of the health risks of breathing in um, manure and waste smells. Um, 
and how it affects water quality. Um, you know, when hurricanes come along and there's flooding, this farm is on a floodplain. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean for, you know, the water picking up and carrying away this waste? So that, that was part of the case, and it was definitely something that the jury was asked to consider. Right. Um, is beyond just these, these homes, how, how are our industrial hog operations affecting the rest of the community in the state beyond just eastern North Carolina. Right. Yeah, because to me, that's the big thing. It's like, you know, um, the issues of water pollution from industrial farming uh, are really serious in this country, and they're all over the country. And it's not just, um, you know, it's not just in North Carolina. It's in Iowa. It's, it's, you know, it's in Ohio. It's any place where you read about those big algae blooms and stuff. It's the Chesapeake Bay. You know, all of these waterways have been really wrecked by um, industrial level agriculture. And I feel like the people who are making the money are the ones who need to be on the hook for cleaning it up. Do you see... Do you see anything like that happening? Like, I'm amazed that they didn't bring in more about the the health issues and the water quality issues. Why do you suppose that was? Why did they keep it so narrow? I just think it's it's hard to, you know, have a plaintiff and say, oh, well, they have asthma. You know, they have breathing conditions and point the finger directly to the farm, um, just in a legal sense, you know, just in a court of law. Uh-huh. Because then the defense could say, oh, well, do they smoke? Do they drink? You know, do they have a history of, of this in the family? Right. It's really hard to make that case when you have an individual person and their medical records and all these confounding variables. Right. Um, which is why the plaintiffs encourage the jury to, you know, think, think comprehensively about the industry as a whole, about Kinlaw Farm, but also how all the other farms that Smithfield works with and all the other people across the state. Yeah. Um, because... To, to make that direct link in a court of law is extremely difficult. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean, the Cape Fear River and the state of North Carolina in general, um, as I'm sure you know better than I do, is really just a giant industrial waste dump. I mean, there's the DuPont. Aren't there a bunch of suits against DuPont for uh, dumping chemical waste into the Cape Fear River? Aren't there some big toxic... Um, you know, toxic sludge suits coming down the pike. I mean, I feel like there's a lot going on in North Carolina because they have been so lax um, in regulating this in an effort to draw more industry to the states. What, what can you yeah. offer about that kind of stuff? Do you know anything about those? Well, one other, one thing I wanted to talk about actually that is is related to the to the industry is there is a separate um, case going on where a bunch of environmental groups sued the state's Department of Environmental Quality mm-hmm. um, related to these hog cases because they said that the industry had been um, mismanaging its waste and targeting communities of color. Yeah. Um, and that case actually settled um, last week. Really? Um, and they reached an agreement, yeah, um, where um, the state agreed to a number of things and agreed to up its enforcement, essentially. Um, and one of the, the things it agreed to was that it would... Um, do inspections without notice so that inspectors could show up mm-hmm. to the farm and then, you know, measure the air quality, measure surrounding bodies of water, and do all the things that they do during these inspections mm-hmm. without giving any heads up to the farmer. Right. Um, and for environmentalists, that's promising because if they're, you know, not following 
um, the rules and regulations most of the days of the year, but are when inspectors show up, they'll, they'll get caught and hopefully improvements will be made. So there are other, other things, other legal cases going on and environmentalists hope will improve the condition. And, and obviously this verdict is the biggest of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about this. We're going to, we're going to revisit um, in a few months, like in the fall or something, come back and tell me uh, and tell my listeners, you know, what else is going on? Um, because as these suits progress and then this new legislation about the capping, the the amount of money they can get, what kind of a chilling effect that's going to have. Uh, you know, there's so much to talk about. And North Carolina really is, as I said, it's such an industrial waste dump. It's so sad what has happened to such a beautiful state. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting. They're, they're kind of like the... The um, I don't know what I, I want to say the bellwether, but that's not quite right. It's like you know they're sort of like the the model for <laughs> how you can really screw a place up <laughs> and take advantage of poverty and ignorance, um, which I think is is you know seems to be kind of widespread in those rural areas. I hate to make generalizations like that about populations, but you know you don't know who you're voting for if you're voting for somebody who's saying yeah let's build another one of these. <laughs> You know, like, let's give another permit. Like, who's getting greased here? Like, that kind of stuff. That's that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm interested and we, in. And we could see copycat lawsuits. And I've talked with legal experts right. on, let's say, you know, other people in other states and other industries are looking at how these plaintiffs won. Mm-hmm. They're taking notes, and they could be bringing similar suits, and it's not just limited to pork. You know, dairy, mm-hmm. poultry could also see more lawsuits because of this oh, verdict. Yeah. So that's why it's such a big deal, not only for North Carolina, but across the country. Yeah, absolutely. So Liz, that, that, this is your moment to promote yourself shamelessly. Tell about, tell us about Morning <laughs> Ag, because we love that. I love this yeah. newsletter. I love it. Well, it's so I mean, great. Well, cases aren't over, so long, just beginning. And I amazingly write about more than just hog waste <laughs> litigation. Um, you know, sign up for Morning Ag, um, our free daily newsletter, to follow everything that's happening with the farm bill is that starts to heat up this week and next in the House and then yeah. later in the Senate. So, yep. yeah, keep you reading. You guys have a crackerjack team, I got to say. Big shout out to Catherine Boudreau, to um, Helena Botmiller-Evich. Helena, yep. I think she calls herself. Mm-hmm. Helena. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just won a James Beard Award. You'll be next. She did. She did. <laughs> so, people, this is a free morning newsletter written by a crackerjack staff. Um, so I, I just, I can't say enough. It's like my favorite publication now. I read it literally every day. It is just, you. you guys are awesome. You are awesome. Thank you for doing your jobs the way you do them. And, you know, thanks to Politico for giving you the funding and making it work. Cause that's really nice. That's great. Yeah. All right, darling, we're going to say goodbye now. And, uh, thanks to Wisconsin cheese for sponsoring my show. Thank you, Liz, so much for joining me. Thanks to my um, wonderful engineer as always, David Tashator. I got it right, Dave, didn't I? <laughs> No. Tadashore. <laughs> Tadashore. That's it. That's it. Okay. Yeah, this guy has an impossible Italian name with way too many consonants. Anyway, love you, Liz. Thank you so much you for so explaining much. this. That's this was fun. great. I really enjoyed the show. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode of What Doesn't Kill You. Stay tuned for that. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. 
Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Searching for the